Support for Speaking of Travel comes from the Asheville Regional Airport. With frequent daily connections to major international hubs, Asheville Regional is your local connection to the world. And when you fly home, you're home. Plan your next trip at flyavl.com. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus. Built with the zero landfill promise, all waste is recycled or reused with more at PrestigeSubaru.com. New Belgium Brewing, makers of Fat Tire Amber Ale and a host of Belgian-inspired beers dedicated to proving that business can be a force for good. Visit New Belgium Brewing in Asheville, North Carolina. For more information, visit newbelgium.com. Urban Escape Vehicles, a camper van rental service in Asheville, North Carolina. Get a taste of van life and book your adventure vehicle today. Visit uevrental.com. And Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park. Explore one of Western North Carolina's most iconic places, featuring everything the mountains have to offer in one place. Plan your adventure at ChimneyRockPark.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC. Now be sure to visit the Speaking of Travel website. That's speakingoftravel.net. And there you can sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. And I'll be sending out some really great travel news and travel tips, some travel stories, and some really cool upcoming vacation destination opportunities, including an awesome trip to Cuba in February 2020 with Small Footprint Travels. So sign up and come along. It's going to be so much fun. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on that Speaking of Travel website on the iHeartRadio app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn. If there's a podcast platform, just type in Speaking of Travel and I bet you'll be able to get it. It's a great way to hear about people's travel stories, what's new in travel trends, there's so much that that we share here on Speaking of Travel, and it'd be awesome for you to go and listen uh, and and gain some tips. You know, it, traveling is is so much fun, and when you hear from other people the adventures that they've had, the travel tips that they share, you'll be really that much further along when it's your time to take the big adventure of a lifetime. So a couple of months ago, I received a book in the mail called The Coca-Cola Trail. Now, to be honest, I didn't know Coca-Cola even had a trail, but I came to find out that the author, Larry Jorgensen, spent over two years interviewing Coca-Cola families and conducting extensive research in current and former Coca-Cola communities and wrote this historical book. 
Now, the trail takes readers to places where Coca-Cola history is told through photos of historic buildings and local museums and restored outdoor murals and all kinds of memorabilia collections. I'll tell you, after reading the book, I knew I had to know more about this phenomenon called Coca-Cola. So here to tell us all about it is my guest, Larry Jorgensen. Larry, welcome to Speaking of Travel. Thank you, Marilyn. I'm looking forward to sharing uh, some Coca-Cola trail experiences with you and your listeners. Well, thank you. And Larry, you know, we've all been drinking Coca-Cola, I know, since I was a little kid. They were in bottles. You could get it in the, you know, in the... Uh, grocery store, you'd open up that uh, door and they'd be nice and cold, maybe put a straw in there or just drink it right out of the bottle. What began for you this fascination with the history? Well, I'm a, I'm a freelance writer. I'm, a, I'm an old news dog. And, and I got fascinated by the fact that there were two Coca-Cola historic places fairly close by. Um, there's one in a pretty little town called Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, right on the Mississippi River, a lot of history there. And then about 60, 70 miles away, there's another one in Monroe, Louisiana. And I thought, well, that's a good companion piece uh, to do some travel writing. Well, as I got into it, Marilyn, I discovered that this trail goes all over. It's, there are places all over the United States that are loaded with places where you can go see, touch, feel, learn about what was Coca-Cola here in this community. And uh, it just fascinated me. Um, And I decided to go from there. Had a lot of help from Coca-Cola families along the way. Um, Had a lot of people who would tell me, do you know? And I'd go look, and sure enough, you know. uh, We started out in Vicksburg, which is, I guess, the appropriate place to start. Um, You know, Vicksburg was where Coca-Cola was actually first bottled. People think of Coca-Cola and they think of Atlanta. Well, yeah, Atlanta is where the syrup was invented. But um, Coca-Cola was first bottled in Vicksburg. And it's an interesting story. In fact, if you're traveling, you could go to Vicksburg and besides seeing a, a very interesting historic town, there is, in fact, the restored building where Coca-Cola was first bottled. And it's an old soda fountain and candy store. Um, and a lot of the original equipment and a lot of memories there. Um, what happened, there was a gentleman by the name of Joe Biedenharn, and Joe was a distributor for the Coca-Cola syrup. He was making the drinks at his soda fountain, and he was selling the syrup to others, other soda fountain owners in the area. Well, it so happened that Joe also did a catering business, and he would get flavored soda waters in those days, you know, the sarsaparilla, that type of thing, and, and he would offer that as part of his catering business. It so happened that one July 4th, he had an order that he couldn't get filled from the local bottler. And he had to go out and make lemonade for this particular July 4th picnic. Decided it was time to go in the bottling business. At the same time, 
he realized that his Coca-Cola fountain sales were really growing. And he thought, boy, if I could get this drink to the people in the country. So, you know, it was two, put two and two together, and he bought a little bottling uh, machine, hand-operated, started bottling Coca-Cola, and uh, did it for five years before Coca-Cola even said, yeah, it's okay to bottle Coca-Cola. Um, interesting, the first couple cases he bottled, he sent off to Atlanta to a gentleman by the name of Asa Candler, who at that time was making the syrup uh, and selling the syrup. And, and Asa sent him a note back and said, yeah, it's okay, you know, but wasn't too excited. And Joe got all upset because Asa never sent the bottles back. But uh, it went on from there, and it became very successful uh, in Vicksburg, Mississippi. But it took five years for Coca-Cola to really recognize and authorize uh, the bottling of Coca-Cola. So give us a time frame here. What what years was this all taking place? Well, that was 1894, when Joe Biedenhorn first bottled Coca-Cola. There was one other individual about three years later in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, who stumbled upon the idea himself and did start bottling. He he got his syrup from the local syrup distributor, and uh, he started bottling. So there were really two that started bottling. Joe was in 94, and Valdosta was about three years later. But at that time, Coca-Cola had no interest, in fact, for a long time, had no interest in the idea of bottling Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola was already being uh, made in other places besides uh, Vicksburg? It was, it was already being established well, in Atlanta? Well, the, yeah, the, the syrup that, that you make Coca-Cola from was actually invented uh, in Atlanta. A uh, Mr. Pemberton who had a Civil War injury, was seeking something to ease his pain. And he concocted the first formula, which is fairly true to what is made today, uh, but he concocted it to help ease pain. And it tasted good, and he had a local pharmacy in Atlanta start selling it across the counter. But his business was strictly making and selling the syrup in gallon or larger containers to other soda fountains. Wow. Well, that is really quite a story. I'll tell you, uh, Larry, when we come back, I want to talk about this syrup. You know, there's been a lot of myth about what was in that original syrup and why it tasted so good and why it healed so many people. So, Larry, thank you. This is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. We'll be back with Larry Jorgensen down the Coca-Cola Trail. It's summertime in Subieville, which means it's time for adventure here in western North Carolina. Or more aptly, time to get outdoors and outgoing down a road less traveled. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And off the beaten path, nothing says tough like the tried and true reliability of an all-wheel drive Subaru. There's a reason why 97% of Subarus sold in the last 10 years are still on the road today and ready for the next adventure. Discover the beauty of all-wheel drive at Prestige Subaru, 585 Tunnel Road, Nashville, or visit us online at PrestigeSubaru.com. 
Feeling the need to costume up? New Belgium's annual Tour de Fat is back for 2019 on Saturday, September 21st, offering a day packed full of free activities, celebrating beer, bikes, and amusement. Join the bicycle parade or float to the show with rentals available at French Broad Outfitters. Entering its 20th season, the Tour de Fat has raised nearly $6 million for local bike nonprofits. For more info, visit New NewBelgium.com. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Visit Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park once, and you'll want to come back for more. An annual pass not only gets you unlimited visits to the park for a year, exclusive events, and special deals at the park's shops and restaurants, you also get discounts at other area attractions, too. And there's easy access to the rock via the 26-story elevator inside the mountain. Become an annual pass holder at ChimneyRockPark.com. Your adventures don't stay in one place, so why should you? Take a road trip in a camper van that's pet-friendly, comfortable, and ready for adventure. Urban Escape Vehicles is a camper van rental service in Asheville, North Carolina. For some local camping ideas, check us out on Instagram at urban underscore escape underscore vehicles or visit uevrental.com and use coupon code radio to receive a 20% discount on your first camper van rental. That's UEVRental.com. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on. Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and we're here with Larry Jurgensen, and we're talking about the Coca-Cola Trail, people and places in the history of Coca-Cola. And Larry, what an, just such an amazing history here, starting out in, um, with the syrup and then going down to Vicksburg and, and meeting up with this, uh, German immigrant. Give us a little bit of an idea. You were talking about this syrup, and I'm really curious in the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this syrup came to, to even be developed as a, was it more of a pharmaceutical type of uh, cure type of thing? Exactly. Uh, Mr. Pemberton had a Civil War injury, and he was seeking relief from the pain. And um, to you know, to get to the ingredients, and we'll never know exactly what's in it because they don't tell us. But we do know that in the early stages of Coca-Cola, it did it did contain cocaine. It had cocaine and the cola nut. I mean, there's where the name comes from is Coca-Cola. Uh, but it it didn't take many years for the 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 Coca-Cola people will realize that uh, to not have the cocaine in the formula. What it does have that maintains that flavor, it has the cocoa leaf, but it's not processed into into cocaine. It's simply the flavor of the cocoa leaf. 
So there is no cocaine, and I know we hear it all the time, is there cocaine in Coca-Cola? No, there's the cocoa leaf flavor, and there's cola, and they, from the cola nut, and I don't know, and I don't know many people who do know exactly what's in it, but it's certainly an amazing flavor, and it, and it has stayed fairly true through these decades, over 100 years of, of bottling. That is an amazing uh, story. So move us along in the in the story, and uh, we know, we recognize that Atlanta is the birthplace and official home, uh, but tell us a little bit about, in Chapter 3 in the book, you talk about Chattanooga. Tell us a little bit about what was going on there. Well, I, I think Chattanooga has probably as much claim to make it Coca-Cola happen as Atlanta does. Because as we talked earlier, it was five years that only two little, basically, pharmacists around the country were bottling Coca-Cola. Well, it turns out that two young attorneys from Chattanooga uh, thought that bottling Coca-Cola might be a good idea. They were looking for a way to obviously make some money. They went to Atlanta, and they met twice with Asa Candler, who at that time owned the Coca-Cola syrup and was making it. And they wanted to get permission to bottle Coca-Cola. Well, at first, I mean, Asa said, no, this is ridiculous. Uh, don't bother me. Well, they went back again. And they, finally, I think, you know, attorneys have a knack of, of uh, conversation. And they wore him down. And he finally said, all right, you guys draw up a contract. Let me see it, and we'll go from there. So they drew up a contract to get exclusive rights to bottle Coca-Cola in the United States, except Candler wouldn't let them do it in Mississippi because Joe was already doing it there. And he went to them and said, all right, I am going to sell you the rights, the exclusive rights to bottle Coca-Cola throughout the United States for $1. And he never collected the dollar. And he told them, I think this is a dumb idea. I think he termed bottling a back alley operation. And he said, if this doesn't work out, don't you come whining back to me about it. <laughs> so, so here are these two attorneys from Chattanooga that go back to Chattanooga. And, you know, I often equate this to the dog chasing the car. What do you do with it when you catch it? Well, they had caught the Coca-Cola franchise for the United States, exclusive rights. I think between the two of them, they had about $1,500. And they thought, well, how are we going to bottle Coca-Cola for the entire United States? They set up a small bottling plant in Chattanooga. Uh, so, I mean, Chattanooga can claim to be the first uh, authorized bottler of Coca-Cola. Well, they realized that that, that, that wasn't going to make it. And all of a sudden, you know, the light went on. We have the rights. Let's start selling territory. And that's how Coca-Cola took off. Young entrepreneurs across the country heard about Coca-Cola, and they bought a territory. If I lived in Paducah, Kentucky, I probably spent $1,500 to buy a 50-mile territory to sell, produce, and sell Coca-Cola. Well, the added bonus to the two attorneys from Chattanooga 
when you made Coca-Cola in Paducah, you had to use the Coca-Cola syrup, obviously. For every gallon of Coca-Cola syrup that was sold to these bottlers, the two boys in Chattanooga made a commission. So they sold the territory, and they made money off of the bottlers who were bottling in the territory. Pretty good venture. But can you imagine having a business, having a product that you want to, to sell nationwide and having people all over invest money to sell your product? What, it, it was it, that's what made Coca-Cola grow. Well, that is such a concept and talk about entrepreneurship that you know when the light bulb goes off and then there were all these other companies that came uh because of that in Chattanooga like the glass company. Talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, it was a natural that once the the bottling took off that how do you support that? Well, there was a glass company, the Chattanooga Glass Company, that started making Coca-Cola bottles. Although they weren't the first to design it, they were one of the largest to make it. And then you you look back at uh, you know the, uh, the the wooden cases that Coca-Cola would come in. Well, there was a company in Chattanooga that started making the cases. In fact, uh, a uh, descendant of the glass company told me that uh, his granddad would go on a sales trip with the gentleman from the uh, company that made the the uh, wooden crates, and they would sell to the different bottlers around the country, and the bottles would be shipped in the crates, two in one. Uh, there was also a company in Chattanooga that created the first full line of vending machines uh, for for vending Coca-Cola. So there was a lot of spinoff, and uh, ultimately, uh, a lot of industry in Chattanooga area created because of Coca-Cola. Many people, if you go to Chattanooga, and I've been there, it's a great town to visit, um, people sometimes will refer to the strength of Coca-Cola, I mean, of Chattanooga being the Coca-Cola money, because there certainly was a lot that uh, helped developed Chattanooga. Well, I'll say it's it's as if they were able to really create a local economy and raise the tide for everybody in that in that town and that community. Larry, I'll tell you this story is just just fabulous and it you you spent 2 years going around and interviewing people. Combination of interviewing and digging through historical society files and finding old photos. The book is loaded with photos. I, I think there must be over 200 photos in there, some current photos that I took in my travels and some that I uh, was able to obtain from descendants of original bottlers who are still bottling or from uh, records in historical societies, uh, wherever you could find them. And I wanted to include those in the book so that people could see you know, what it was like. In fact, in the Vicksburg chapter, I have a uh, a photo in there which I have called Coca-Cola's first delivery man. And he probably was. It was a, a young black man on a, uh, a wagon pulled by a mule, and the back of the wagon was loaded with wooden cases of Coca-Cola. Well, no doubt, based on the date of that photo, I, I think it's 96, he was the first man to deliver Coca-Cola. Nobody else was bottling it then, so he had to be 
Wow. Coca-Cola's first delivery man. That is awesome. I'm looking at the picture right now. Larry, we'll be back after the break. We'll talk more. I want to move on down the trail and, and talk with you more about some of the people that you talk to as well. This is Marilyn Ball. I'm here with Larry Jorgensen, and we are on the Coca-Cola Trail. This is Tina Kinsey with Asheville Regional Airport, and I have a travel tip for you today. Are you traveling overseas? Are you visiting a third world country? It is very important to research your potential need for pre-travel health care, which can include special vaccinations or oral medications to prevent illness. There are many provider options for pre-travel health care. If you're traveling to a country with health risks similar to those in the United States, it's a good practice to see your family health care provider to consult about risks and preventive measures that can be taken. Local health departments also sometimes provide travel vaccinations or know which providers in your area give this type of pre-travel care. However, you may need to see a more specific provider, especially if you are visiting a country or several countries with specific health risks or if you have a pre-existing health condition. Take the initiative and talk to your doctor before embarking on big adventures. Of specific note, if your travel plans include visiting countries where yellow fever vaccination is recommended or required, you will need to visit an authorized U.S. yellow fever vaccine center. Thanks for listening to this tip from Asheville Regional Airport. When you fly home, you're home. Enjoy a fat tire amber ale and a host of Belgian-inspired beers with a river view at New Belgium Brewing in Asheville, North Carolina. Located at 21 Craven Street in the heart of the River Arts District, New Belgium offers brewery tours seven days a week and live music every Friday. New Belgium Brewing, strongly rooted in community and proving business, can be a force for good. For more info, visit newbelgium.com. Every story has its beginning, a starting point from which it wanders the long and winding road, weaving its way toward the final word. It is on this road where the greatest moments often lie, where memories are made, lessons are learned, and where experiences can be valued forever. Each story is a journey, blind to what lies ahead and conditioned by the road behind. While the destination may or may not be known, each journey is unique, unfolding in the moment and defined by those at the wheel. Regardless of where your journey takes you, it remains yours to create. Embrace the journey. Find your ride at PrestigeSubaru.com. Hi, I'm Melody, and I want to tell you about my camper van rental service in Asheville, North Carolina. If you enjoy camping and road trips or want to try out van life for yourself, you might want to check us out. You can rent a camper van that's pet-friendly, comfortable, and ready for adventure. Look us up on Instagram at urban underscore escape underscore vehicles or visit the website at uevrental.com at urban escape vehicles. We are adventure-driven. Explore one of Western North Carolina's most iconic places, Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park, featuring six hiking trails, an animal discovery den, rock climbing with instructors from Fox Mountain Guides, monthly guided hikes, and more. There's easy access to the rock via the 26-story elevator inside the mountain. To plan your next Chimney Rock adventure, visit ChimneyRockPark.com to see an online trail map and the listing of the park's upcoming events fly me to the moon let me play among the stars 
Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and it is time to catch up with our good friend and fellow traveler, Doc Lawrence, as he takes us along the Gourmet Highway. And today, Doc is in full literary mode as he pays a visit to his own hometown, Decatur, Georgia, for the Decatur Book Festival. Hey, Doc, can't wait to hear what's happening in Decatur. I'm sure you must have some special memories there. Marilyn, there's a very small town in the South, in Georgia to be particular, that fairly lays claim to many top categories. Let's just begin with education. The best public school system of a city of its size anywhere in the South. One of the most international and multicultural small towns anywhere. A city of just 35,000 that supports 90-plus fine restaurants, some of the best in Georgia. A city connected to modern rapid transit where you can get up in the morning, go to work, or go to the world's busiest airport in minutes for just a few bucks. I'm talking about a train. A city that boasts one of the top academic colleges for women in the world and is just a stone's throw away from Emory University. Maryland, I'm standing here on the historic Courthouse Square in Decatur, Georgia, just a few miles from Atlanta city limits. In Maryland, this is old Doc's hometown. You know, I always love coming back here. I remember my parents. I remember my late brother. I remember all these friends that have long gone, some still with us, but I don't see them much anymore. And I'm always thrilled to come back and retrace those old footsteps Everybody loves nostalgia, particularly me. Decatur, Maryland has bragging rights that few cities anywhere have. Why, the Decatur Book Festival is one of the country's most popular. It attracts hundreds of thousands of people and attracted over 250 authors coming to this city, its its local churches, the world-renowned high school where old Doc went, Agnes Scott College, and nearby Emory University. The beautiful old courthouse that I'm standing in front of will never be torn down here. It's a museum now, and the high ceiling courtroom hosts public gatherings, lectures, and even an occasional wedding reception. When I was a child, I used to come here in Maryland and watch murder trials, spellbound, to see these warriors in action with the poor defendant slumped over in a chair waiting to see what a jury is going to do. It's kind of haunting. Decatur, Maryland has sidewalks everywhere. If there's a street here that doesn't have a sidewalk, I haven't seen it. You take the train here and you walk to the great bars. You walk to an art gallery. You stroll around and then walk to a great gourmet restaurant. And they've got plenty of them here. Decatur has literally park benches everywhere. And that's to me, Maryland is a bellwether for a good living. People that care about people, a government that serves its people and wants visitors. You can sit and read the paper, you can read a book, and nobody's going to bother you here. They welcome you. The public library here in Decatur was one of Georgia's very first, and they still have lectures and book signings every single week. You know, I'm going to interview one of the bright young authors today, Miss Casey Sepp, whose book about Harper Lee is a runaway national New York Times bestseller. And I just can't wait to do it because the book is fabulous. Where Maryland, I've walked myself until I need to go clean up. 
but you can't help do that here. There's so much to see in Decatur, and the smile's everywhere. It's contagious. You want to meet strangers. You want to smile back at them. You want to invite them for a drink. Yes, indeed. So it's time for me to go clean up, get ready for dinner, and I'm going to meet some media friends at Revival. It's a beautiful old home converted into a restaurant on historic Church Street here in Decatur. And a friend of mine, Kevin Gillespie, one of the top chefs in the country, owns it and manages it. Uh, it's a menu that is deep south, but it's modern. And you know, the weather's kind of changing here and it's getting nearer fall. So we're going to have prime rib, glass of burgundy or two or three, maybe a couple of bottles, a glass or two of Jack Daniels. And we're going to call it a night in this lovely city and thank our maker that we're able to gather again here. So for Maryland Ball, and speaking of travel, on the Gourmet Highway, this is Doc Lawrence saying so long, and I hope to see you soon in your hometown. Well, Doc, you go and have fun, and be sure to raise a glass or two for me. And remember, travel slowly. You can follow Doc's journey on the Gourmet Highway by visiting thegourmethighway.com. Well, speaking of Georgia, we're here with Larry Jorgensen talking about the Coca-Cola Trail. And Larry, it's so great to have you on the show. And, you know, we're, we're, you were talking about Atlanta. Everybody thinks Atlanta, Coca-Cola, but there's really so much more history here than, um, than just what was going on there. Give us a little well, bit think, of idea about that. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting people I met and this will take us to a town to visit as well, a town called Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, I had the opportunity to meet a gentleman by the name of Preston Root. Now, he is the great-grandson of Chapman Root of Terre Haute, Indiana. And how does that relate to Coca-Cola? In 1905, the Coca-Cola company said that we need a bottle that is Coca-Cola. When you pick it up, you know it's Coca-Cola. In those days, the bottlers were putting Coca-Cola in any bottle they could get their hands on. So the Coca-Cola company issued a challenge to glass manufacturers, to bottle manufacturers. We want a, a very distinctive bottle. The end of that competition, a year later, the Root Glass Company of Terre Haute, Indiana, ultimately won the design for what we know today as the Coca-Cola bottle. Um, and, and that was the Root family. There is a museum you can see in Terre Haute. And Terre Haute is very proud, by the way, of the fact that they're the birthplace of the Coca-Cola bottle. There's a beautiful museum there. There's also, when you drive through the city streets, they have created large uh, Coca-Cola bottles with different paintings on them. The city is very proud to be the birthplace of the bottle. But what's interesting, and this is where where the grandson helped share the history to me, the, um, the family, when they were in Terre Haute, and by now it's a uh, second-generation family, the house burned down, and they're in Indiana, and they decided they would like to move to a warmer climate. So they moved to Daytona Beach, Florida. There is now in Daytona Beach, at the museum in Daytona Beach, there is a large addition to that museum that is, in fact, the Root 
family museum. And it has a lot of the history, a lot of the artifacts that they collected. Um, those who may be Indianapolis race fans may remember the name of Sumar Racing. Well, the Roots had a car in Indianapolis for, I think, it was six or seven years. And that and models of that car are at that museum. Uh, the train that they traveled in, a private train, is at that museum. It's a great visit in your travels to stop at the museum in Daytona Beach and and see the history of the Coca-Cola bottle and why it really happened. Well, that, that bottle is so distinctive and and. You know, talk about a brand that just keeps on, keeps on keeping on. Larry, how can somebody get this book and and follow the trail? Well, the book is available. Of course, we have a website, which is simply the Coca Cola Trail dot com. Uh, it is available on Amazon. And what's interesting, it's available in a lot of. Uh, well, if you're a traveler, if you get to the, if you're an RVer, if you get to the RV Hall of Fame and. Well, Elkhart, Indiana, it's on sale in the bookstore. Uh, there are several RV campground stores that are selling the book. And, and, and it's sold a lot in places that sell Coca-Cola memorabilia. Uh, old general stores, antique stores, places where someone who would walk in that is interested in buying something that is Coca-Cola history, they're going to find the book there as well. So it's been really satisfying, and and a lot of the Coca-Cola collectors have bought the book, and and there are literally thousands of them around the country. Wow. it's It's available in a lot of places. Well, I encourage everybody to go pick up one of these books. And, Larry, when we come back, let's let's pick up right there and keep on moving down the Coca-Cola trail. Feeling the need to costume up? New Belgium's annual Tour de Fat is back for 2019 on Saturday, September 21st, offering a day packed full of free activities, celebrating beer, bikes, and amusement. Join the bicycle parade or float to the show with rentals available at French Broad Outfitters. Entering its 20th season, the Tour de Fat has raised nearly $6 million for local bike nonprofits. For more info, visit newbelgium.com. With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, Elite, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, your home. Asheville Regional Airport. Take the easy way out. Hi, I'm Melody, and I want to tell you about my camper van rental service in Asheville, North Carolina. If you enjoy camping and road trips or want to try out van life for yourself, you might want to check us out. You can rent a camper van that's pet-friendly, comfortable, and ready for adventure. Look us up on Instagram at urban underscore escape underscore vehicles or visit the website at uevrental.com. At Urban Escape Vehicles, we are adventure-driven. Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals. Don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog. Rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. 
We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subiville, Prestige Subaru, on the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. Visit Chimney Rock at Chimney Rock State Park once, and you'll want to come back for more. An annual pass not only gets you unlimited visits to the park for a year, exclusive events, and special deals at the park's shops and restaurants, you also get discounts at other area attractions, too. And there's easy access to the rock via the 26-story elevator inside the mountain. Become an annual pass holder at ChimneyRockPark.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and I'm here with Larry Jorgensen, and we're we're traveling down the Coca-Cola Trail. And really, Larry, I am so happy that you sent me a copy of your book because it really was uh, such a random act of kindness, for one thing, and just... When I opened it, I was just so surprised because I was not familiar with this history. And I love the way that this trail takes such a historical uh, path. So I want to encourage people to really think about how Coca-Cola has been such a big part of all of our lives growing up. Give us some idea um, how... Like if if I was going to get in my car, get in my RV and start taking off and travel down the Coca-Cola Trail, how would you recommend uh, moving in that direction? Well, I think one of the simplest things as you travel, when you see a unique Coca-Cola sign and they're all over the place, there's some history behind that. If you stop in that town, probably somebody's going to have a story to tell. But the unique thing, you know, Coca-Cola really saw the value early, early in outdoor advertising. And um, Asa Candler, who we talked about earlier, was in Hollywood, and they had been putting up signs, and he boasted to one of the movie producers, he said, I'll bet you can't do a movie outside without having a Coca-Cola sign in the background. So I mean, and that's pretty true. They're everywhere, you know. But uh, where would you go? Well, do some exploring on your own. Stop at some of the local places. But so many of the bottlers. When if you hit a town and there's one of the family bottlers there, I'll give you an example. There's two in Arkansas, uh, Nashville, Arkansas, and and uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Both of those bottlers have uh, their own little museums. Uh, there are other museums in towns where there is a bottler, but maybe the local museum has picked up on the, um, the, the the interest and has created their own. One of the most interesting museums is in Aliceville, Alabama. It was originally a Coca-Cola plant, and as Coca-Cola plants consolidated, that plant was donated to the city of Aliceville with the proviso that some of the original bottling equipment remain on display. So if you're interested in how did they do it, the museum in Aliceville, Alabama, has got some of the original Coca-Cola bottling equipment on display, amongst other things, obviously. Uh, A lot to see, a lot out there, and in fact so much that... uh, 
I am doing a sequel to the book. We're going to be back on the trail and many more places. But I just encourage your visitors to be a little bit of a detective of their own, you know. Uh, it's everywhere. Once you, the thing about Coca-Cola is everybody has a Coca-Cola memory. And if you stop at an old soda fountain and get talking, you're going to find somebody that's going to tell you, oh, yeah, I remember. And they're going to point out a place that, was part of their childhood and is certainly worth seeing. So that would be my, my, I guess my guide is, yeah, take the book. I had a gentleman from California sent me an email and he said, I'm planning my summer vacation around your book. I thought this man likes Coca-Cola, but uh, you could use the book as a guide and you, you'll find if you go to one of those places in the book, there will be people there that'll tell you, some additions that you can also see. That makes it fun. Oh, yeah. And there's so much memorabilia. I mean, I love that. Just looking at uh, some of the pictures in the book, like you were saying, Coca-Cola just has so many um, uh, stories. And the bottling plants, we had one, well, we had a a beautiful old Art Deco building here in Asheville that... um, I believe was a part of the Coca-Cola as well. That I'm looking here in Chapter 17 in Covington, Tennessee, uh, a very unique plant that was constructed in 1940. It's they're just everywhere across the whole country. Well, there's a there's a pl- a building in uh, in Georgia that uh, had been a Coca-Cola bottling plant, and uh, a young man who was a Coca-Cola collector. Uh, from his early teens, convinced his father to buy this old abandoned falling down plant, and they have made a beautiful Coca-Cola museum out of it. And they have found treasures from all over the world. They have a, a soda fountain in there that they brought over from England. So, I mean, that's the type of thing you'll find with the old buildings, is they're being repurposed into many different things that you can still go see. Uh, there's there's many, many malls in some of them. Griffin, Georgia has a great mini mall in their old Coca-Cola plant. Um, Charlottesville, uh, the plant is now a combination of an entertainment area and uh, a mini mall. So I, they're everywhere, and, and you really feel the, the Coca-Cola history when you walk into one of those buildings. Well, it seems that the Coca-Cola brand is really like the most collected brand in the entire world. It, it is. The Coca-Cola collectors, uh, if you look at, look them up on the Internet, they're everywhere. Not only in the United States, but they have clubs in other countries. They meet uh, regionally. They just recently finished their national convention in Atlanta, they went back to Atlanta. Next year, around the 4th of July, they're going to be in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And there'll be all these collectors with all their treasures. And they'll be selling and swapping and, and telling stories, telling Coca-Cola stories. Probably somebody from your backyard will be there. I bet. Well, I could actually go. I have one of the original, you know, the Santa Claus that they did with a little Coca-Cola bottle in his hand. I think that was probably from the 40s, maybe. It was something that was passed along. You don't so you don't Do you, see those much anymore. Santa Claus, as we recognize it, was created by Coca-Cola. 
the the image of Santa. You may recall last Christmas, the post office had four Santa stamps that they issued. The images on those stamps were, in fact, Santas that had been created by the Coca-Cola artist. Coca-Cola has really taken possession of Santa, and the Santa we know today was created by the Coca-Cola artist many years ago. Well, I'll tell you, Larry, this history is just fascinating, and there's so much to learn and to see and uh, and travel. Tell us again how people can find out more information, how they can get the book, and, you know, like this man that you got the email from can start their own summer vacation traveling the Coca-Cola Trail. If they go to my website, uh, you know, just Coca-Cola.com, uh, there's a, a message box there. You can message me there. Um, you can you can buy the book from Amazon. Uh, or if you have somebody who's got the book, and there's contact information in there. But the website is the easiest one, and I get a lot of messages that originate from the website. Uh, I have no problem in giving out my phone number, which is Louisiana, 337-591-1937, or my email, which is glmanagement40 at gmail.com. I am not hiding. I'm very visible, and I love to talk about the Coca-Cola Trail. Well, Larry, thank you so much for being with us today. And when you finish that second uh, continuation of the trail, you have to come back on Speaking of Travel and tell us more about the people you met and the the places that you've been. It's just such a fascinating story. And the Coca-Cola Trail, People and Places in the History of Coca-Cola by Larry Jorgensen is a book that you're wanna you're gonna wanna grab. Larry, again, thank you so much and, and happy travels. Thank you, Marilyn. Look forward to coming back and we'll share with you when we come back why the Coca-Cola bottle is green. You got it. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. Go out and have a great week. Take a look. I bet everywhere you look, you're going to see something that is a part of our history of Coca-Cola, the memorabilia, maybe a billboard or a, 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 a snack bar or go buy a bottle of Coca-Cola and sit under a tree and, and think about how this brand took off and be sure to go to Larry's website and find out more, set your sights on taking the trail and, you know, go out and really just have a wonderful week. Uh, take a walk in the woods. Think about think about where you want to go and, and what trail is out there for you. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. Run.